0: Hello, everyone. It's John Otterstedt, Bobby Darren, Sean Brown for the Scarlet Nation podcast. We are on the eve of signing day. We'll be talking about signing day. We'll be talking about the Rutgers offensive coordinator situation, and I guess anything else where the conversation takes us. So, Bobby, Sean, welcome aboard. Hello. Hey, fellas. Well, guys, we're going to start off by talking about the offensive coordinator situation because I know that that's something that the fans are talking about. And it's something that really plays into recruiting, although. I guess, oddly, not as much. I haven't heard many of the recruits saying that that was a reason why they were hesitant about signing with Rutgers. But let's start with that. When you two have been talking to recruits and others on the recruiting trail, have you noticed any conversation, either positive or negative, about the Rutgers offensive coordinator situation? You know, let's let's not to be callous about the situation, but Rutgers
1: didn't have the best year offensively, and, and Jerry Kill did his share of recruiting, but he wasn't out on the road as much as some of these other guys, uh, to the point where he was the the main recruiter of guys, talking to them every day. So, um, the effect is a little different for an offensive coordinator. And, and let's be honest, they were looking at the offense, and, and it wasn't like they had the top offense in the nation. Um, you know, everybody respected Jerry Kill, and you know, really. I never heard anybody say a bad word about him, but I don't think it was reason enough for, for guys to start shopping around this late in the process. Sean, what do
2: you think? Uh, I agree with Bobby, you know, um, the offense could have showed uh, more signs of life in the last season, but, but coach kill was well-received, uh, obviously well-respected uh, around the country and by the recruits. But it, It didn't seem to be a a make or break factor um, with a lot of offensive guys. Um, Obviously, uh, Coach Ash went out to see uh, Jalen Chapman uh, on Sunday after they finished the official visits. And, you know, Bobby has been reporting for a while, you know, vaguely that, you know, rumors had been, you know, uh, floating around uh, with the recruits in in, in the Hale Center that things were going in this direction. So it wasn't completely unknown uh, for the recruits that this was a possibility.
0: Yeah, I read that before and I've heard that from others saying that coach has been pretty upfront with the recruits and I guess keeping everybody on the same page, even announcing it on the eve of signing day, just make sure that everything's on the up and up and everyone's on the same page moving forward. And I guess one area where I don't feel like I'm on the same page with the staff is the offensive philosophy, just because I think we've seen two different styles the past two years under two different coordinators moving forward you have different quarterbacks in the system who seem to fit different styles if you were to you know try to look in your crystal ball and see what type of offensive coordinator with what type of philosophy ruckers would bring in what do you think they'll be looking for sean
2: you know it's it's so up in the air when you when you look at a lot of the names that um you know bobby has compiled uh in the most recent hot board on scarletnation.com uh you know, you look at guys like Phil Longo, who is an air raid uh disciple, um and they throw the ball quite a bit, uh but at Ole Miss they did have a, a physical sense, it did have the run game. Uh but then you look at a guy like um De Enos, who was most previously an offensive coordinator at Arkansas, uh even when he was at Central Michigan, he was known as a, a pro style under center guy. Uh so, you know, the offensive philosophies are, are, are different with it seems with each one of these guys, I mean, more more schools are, are going to some, some type of derivative of spread offense. But, you know, what Brian Wright is doing at Toledo is different than what Noah Mazzoni was doing at UCLA and Texas A&M. So it's, it's not one cut and dry type of offense that uh, Coach Ash seems to be considering.
0: Bobby, if you were to make a bet on what type of offense Rutgers might put out next year, could you make that bet? Or do you think they'll just be looking for best available? I think, you know, making a bet now would just kind of be rolling the
1: dice and hoping, you know, to to get a good roll. I mean, there's really no rhyme or reason the last couple of years with what – uh, Chris Ash is gone with because he went from a, a spread style with Drew Marringer to a completely different style with Jerry Kill. So I, I think he's just going to try and find the best available guy and, and let that guy just take control of the offense because you have quarterbacks who can play, uh, you know, pro style or be a dual threat. And it, you know, I, I think he's just going to hand over
0: the reins. Well, when I'm looking across the updated Rutgers offensive coordinator hot board that we have on ScarletNation.com. Here are some of the names that you've listed, Bobby. Todd Fitch, Louisiana Tech Offensive Coordinator. Uh, Then we go down, Phil Longo, Ole Miss Offensive Coordinator. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz, I don't even know how you pronounce that name. NC State Offensive Coordinator. Noel Mazone, Texas A&M. Brian Wright, Toledo. Dan Enos, uh, formerly of the Razorbacks. Jed Fish, uh, UCLA Offensive Coordinator. Uh, Barney Cotton, UNLV and then A.J. Blazik, current Rutgers offensive line coach. Bobby, who amongst these candidates that you listed here are, you know, realistic? And who would be the home run hire in your estimation? You know, I when you look at these boards initially, you, you see some names. And there might be conversations
1: between uh, Coach Ash and these guys, but you also have to look at who is a more realistic candidate? Um, some of these guys who are making higher salaries, and and Rutgers can might even be able to match some of those from this year. But coming into a, a program that has had nine off, it'll be their ninth offensive coordinator in as many years. It, it's a risk for these guys. You know, some of these guys are are considered hot coordinators right now, and and a, a down year puts them on the other end. So I, I think these the higher names on that list are, are ones that are going to carefully consider their situation and they might not be realistic candidates i think somebody like uh fitch from uh louisiana tech is a a more realistic candidate sean and i were speaking about that earlier and you know has previous ties with ash has had success uh looking to move on would be you know an affordable guy and and somebody that ash knows well so I, i think that type of candidate is what you're going to see uh you know the the home run hires that you talk about with the, with the pro, more prominent names i i don't think some of those guys are realistic although i do like brian Wright uh from toledo not much has really surfaced in terms of conversations with ash and him but uh he seems like a young coordinator that's on the rise
0: why is longo considered a long shot i mean he's only been at the 1a level uh the fbs level for a year if i'm Correct. Is that the, is that the case?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, so he, he was a guy that, um, he's tied to Casey Keeler who, you know, was a former uh, university of Delaware coach, um, was at Rowan before that in South Jersey is now at a Sam Houston state in Texas. Um, you know, he, he does. It's it's an interesting situation, obviously, um, you know, was hired last year, old Miss, and they just had the coach turn over when, when Hugh Freeze um, resigned, the head coach for the allegations there. Uh, and they, they hired the former offensive line coach, Matt Luke, uh, was interim coach. They just hired him officially after the season. Um, from what I've read. You know, he's in line to keep most of the staff. Uh, and then obviously, they've had a lot of um, turnover recruits. Um, once the allegations came out for Ole Miss, uh, a lot of upperclassmen were given free reign to transfer. Similar with when the, the thing happened with turnover at Penn State, uh, since they were banned, uh, they, I think they voluntarily did not play the bowl this year, and they were, they were given an additional bowl ban. Uh, so upperclassmen were allowed to transfer freely. Uh, but they uh, surprisingly lost their star quarterback, Shea Patterson. Uh, I just saw they lost the receiver, the floor. Florida. uh, And there's probably a couple other guys that are being poached as well. So I I know from long ago, he's probably saying, you know, this wasn't the team I expected to have. However, uh, he is considered a hot commodity. Uh, His name has been linked with the opening at South Carolina uh, for their offensive coordinator role. And they just attained a commitment from a a four-star California quarterback, Matt Corral from Florida, who is considered the next hot shot, Uh, you know, who was a five-star in some other uh, rankings as well. So, you know, He's got a successor to Shea Patterson in there Um, and the offense is produced, but does he want to go through the issues that Ole Miss is going to have uh, with these NCAA um, punishments they received recently?
0: Well, Sean, if you were looking into your crystal ball and you look down that list or maybe some other names that you have in the back of your mind, who could you see Rutgers being able to acquire? You know, Noam Zoni is interesting. Um, he
2: he has a lot of New Jersey ties. Uh, people are really familiar with his his end zone uh, offense. Uh, I know, I think it's uh, Montgomery in uh, Central Jersey uh, used the offense. They actually produced the quarterback, the backup, uh, Chris Chuganoff at West Virginia now. Uh, I think it's uh, Neptune is another school that uses it in, in, in multiple schools in the area, in the East Coast. So he's coming out. He's giving seminars at high schools on how to run this offense. Uh, so people in New Jersey and the East Coast are, are really familiar oh it was only my understanding is that years ago he used to uh, work for the jets as well so he has a lot of ties in the area um obviously he's available for what i know it doesn't seem that jimbo fisher is going to keep him at texas AM. and m so he he should be available and the last time there was a search uh my understanding is that he did have some dialogue with coach ash so there seems to be some interest um with him wanting to come east uh and, and, and the east coast and, and just use those relationships he has and you know it seems there's that availability there um I'm not sure where he's at financially, but he seems willing to to make a jump to come coach in the East Coast.
0: I guess if you look at the past couple of hires or past three hires, you have Frieden, Kill, Maringer. The one thing you see between all three is that they're either at the beginning of their career or their end of their career. And whether the factor in Rutgers not being able to get someone at the you know I guess at the peak, a, a young hot coordinator who has been a coordinator at another school before. I would think it's because of either the status of the program being building and not having much success or perhaps what Rutgers could or could not pay. Do you think that Rutgers will be in a similar situation right now, having to find someone in the twi- twilight of their career, someone perhaps in their late 20s, early 30s, like they did with Meringer, maybe someone from the FCS level? Uh, what do you think about that, Bobby? Well, I, like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a bit of a risk. So um,
1: you're, you're not going to get someone that's proven that might have other options willing to take a gamble. Uh, you might have to go with an older guy. You might have to go with a guy that's, that's younger and, you know, kind of take a risk on him. So um, I, I don't think, you know, it doesn't have to do all the, uh, necessarily with pay, But the fact that a team has gone through eight coordinators in the last eight years and had one of the lowest ranked offenses in the FBS, it raises a flag of concern for anyone coming in. There's been no continuity. So there's going to be eyebrows raised among potential candidates. So until they can really establish some continuity, it's going to take – you know, either a younger guy or an older guy, like you said, or maybe somebody who's just willing to take a gamble. And, and you know, a lot of that is how Ash sells the, the vision and and how he can kind of close out. You talk about, you know, closing out recruits. Maybe he can close out a coach, you know, but um, it's not going to be just like a no brainer for someone who, you know, is a hot commodity to say, let me go here and try and revamp this program. A lot of guys are going to walk into a, a situation
0: which might look more favorable uh, to protect their own careers. Well, considering Phil Longo is a name that fans are talking about and considering he came from Sam Houston State was really, I guess, a no one when he came over to Ole Miss, I always wonder right now whether Rutgers fans would be willing to embrace someone who's a bit under the radar, someone who has been successful at another location, perhaps not as well known. If you look at the top offenses in uh, the FCS play, I know Princeton's in the top 10, Lehigh's in the top 10, not two schools that you would normally think of as high-powered offenses or someplace you'd want to steal a coordinator. I know nothing about their coordinators, so don't anyone think that I'm advocating for them. But Sean, do you think Rutgers fans will accept someone from a lower level, or do you think they have to hit someone who comes from another Big Ten school, an SEC school, some you know, another major program?
2: I mean, I, I think it depends who it is. Um, you, you know, you referenced long and, and, you know, the one thing we see constantly mentioned on, on the message boards in, in regards to him is, is those New Jersey ties that he has. You know, he was a, a coach in North Jersey at uh, Parsippany High before he, you know, went the route of, of going into college ball. So I, I think people are accepting of that. If it's someone that's, oh, well, he knows the area, he, he has relationships in the area. If it's, let's say it was the offensive coordinator from um, South Dakota State, uh, which is a very political Offense. If you if you've watched them, uh, they were in the semifinals for um, the FCS. But you know the the typical Rutgers fan doesn't follow that offense, and that coach prizes from the area. I, I I think there'd be a less excitement for that.
0: Well, let's get off the uh, the OC topic for a little while. I want to talk about signing day. It's the first time that there's been this early signing day. Uh, Rutgers is expected to sign most uh, a high percentage of their recruits. Early. There'll be another signing day in February where they can close out their class. Bobby, what is your initial thoughts on this class? I think they have some nice players in this class. I think Chris Ash has done a,
1: a really good job of loading up with, with, with quality players. There's some very high-quality three-stars in that class. Uh, it might not be the highest-ranked class, but we've talked about this time and again about the three-stars and, you know, how – it can really be on opposite ends of the spectrum, and I think they've done a good job of collecting very high-quality three stars, a lot of guys who can help out in positions of need. And um, you know, right now they're—I believe it's the 39th-ranked recruiting class. I'm looking at it right now. I know it fluctuates uh, a lot in this in this next day or two with commits coming in from all over the country. But I, I definitely think it is a move in the right direction. I think Ash has done a good job of hanging on to guys, and, and you know, we've talked about losing your offensive coordinator the day before signing day and have it not really impact your recruits uh, i think that says something to the vision that he's sold as well i mean there's still some areas that need help recruiting but for the most part i i think he's addressed a lot of needs and i think he's brought in some quality players
0: sean any players that when you look up and down that list you think will play early you know um
2: the one just looking right now it's in um not alphabetical order, but I think in, in date of commitment, um Eddie Lewis is one, you know. Eddie uh, obviously signed in the class of 2017 from uh, Modern Day um, in uh, Central Jersey by the Shore, uh, but he had some qualification issues. Had to go to Milford Academy. Had a really strong season um, during his prep season for, for Milford, and so you know he'll get a chance. He'll he'll be enrolled. He'll be on campus in January. I mean, more of a you know older guy per se, but I think he'll get you know every chance to contribute. Obviously, there were there were some struggles at the receiver position, even in in that class. I thought. Eddie was... Maybe the best route runner, a uh, pure route runner uh, of those guys in that class. Um, so he, he uses prep year to a uh, prep season to mature a bit, uh, to refine his game. And he he has some some huge games. Uh, and you know at the prep level, they're not playing high school teams. Some of the junior college teams they play are are not that great, but they're they're going against JV teams of uh, for Army, uh, Wagner University, which is FCS school. So you know they're playing older players. Uh, and you know Eddie was just dominant at that level. So I think he's definitely gonna have a chance to contribute right right away at the receiver
0: position. Bobby, who is your most underrated player this class?
1: Underrated? Mm, Looking down the line. I I mean, you know, one of my favorites that that, that I think is going to play early, it should be a four-star, is Isaiah Pacheco. Um, But in terms of underrated, you know, um, Jada McDonald, was it was an underrated guy, and and just had a monster season down in Georgia, leading them to a state title. Um, I think he's a guy that's going to surprise some people. Uh, you know, Rayquan O'Neill is a guy who had a lot of offers; should be a four star, I believe, as well. Um, but I, I don't think there is under the radar as you think. And looking down the list, there isn't really too many of those. You know, I had to find this guy and and sneak him in because he, he was under the radar. Um, I think. A lot of these guys are, are known commodities for, you know, being decent three stars. So um,
0: I don't, you know, Bobby, show- I want to interrupt you just for a second, because I know there's two words sound similar, but different, you know, underrated and under the radar. I think we all use them interchangeably, but I think you made a nice distinction. There are some guys in this recruiting class who may not be under the radar but they're certainly underrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, you
1: know, like I said, looking down the list, a lot of legitimate three stars, but I think you could make a case for some four-star guys in this class. I mean, Art Sikowski was a four-star guy uh, for a long time. Uh, I saw Davon Robinson in the state championship game was very impressive. Um, he's a, a high three-star, and justifiably so. Uh, Raquan O'Neal, I think, should be a four-star. Uh, Pacheco, a four-star. And Zaheer Lacewell, I think, should also be. Um, Sean saw him and Kyle kind of validated uh, everything we've been saying about him. Um, you know, he, he's he's just a tremendous talent. And I think you have a lot of these guys that, that are borderline four stars and, and you could make a case for it. So it, it's not like classes in the past where, you know, they had a, a guy that was truly – um, under the radar. And sometimes that's a nice way of saying that they, they just rolled the dice on a kid. I think if you want to go under the radar, you might go Matthew Thomas uh, from Brooklyn, defensive end, um, who just has a ton of potential, very athletic. I spoke to him tonight and, you know, very excited about uh, signing day. Uh, you know, was a kid who didn't start playing until his freshman year because his mom wouldn't let him. But uh, he told me he got so big that, you know, she had to let him play, and 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 you know, really helped him along the way. But he was a kid, I think, that should have had more offers. So, if there's going to be one that classifies, you know, to answer your question, I would go with Matthew
0: Thomas from Brooklyn. Sean, would you say this is Rutgers' best class in the past few years?
2: <sighs> um, I'd have to look side by side. Last year, I, the last year's class with uh you know with Bo Melton, um, Michael Clark was may have been a more top heavy, uh, but. You know, definitely th- this class is solid. They close late, I think, especially after the, the news, you know, as we mentioned, news was starting to get around and Rutgers told the recruits about the decision of Jerry Kill for them to bring in the commitments of Jalen Jordan and uh, Davon Robinson in the past week, especially uh, they're both, you know, hybrid wide receiver tight end types. And they they needed some size at receiver, uh, but then they also need to add some depth uh, at tight end. So, you know, both of those guys feel a need, you know, had the potential to make them uh, more explosive offensively uh and getting getting quarterbacks not just one quarterback but getting two quality young quarterbacks obviously us local guys we we are much more familiar with Arthur Sikowski and, you know what he did at Old Bridge and then at IMG Academy but uh you know Bobby and I have and Richie you know we're saying please don't don't sleep on Jalen Chapman at all uh, obviously he's a winner um another state title at Narbonne uh in California uh this this past weekend and just a really accurate guy who. It just knows how to win, and I think people look at the measurables and kind of just disregard them. but he he's just been really productive at the high school level. So to get more talent in the room is a big deal uh, for whoever the offensive coordinator and QB coach is going to be going forward.
0: Bobby, when you look across the recruiting class, I know we talked a little bit about who's the most underrated, who's going to play early, but is there a guy, and I ask you this question because you wrote a book about the NFL draft, is there someone that when you look at and you go, this is a prototypical – future NFL player, if this guy develops as he's expected to develop, you could see him being drafted someday? I think you got to go to a guy like
1: Raquan O'Neal with the great size and athleticism very fast, um, has those uh, core fundamental uh, traits to, to really carry him to the next level. I think this early in the process, you have to look at it more or less from that physical standpoint to see who really has next level uh, capabilities in terms of their physical ability. And uh, he would be a guy that I would say right off the bat, a guy like Art Sikowski, you know, that people will say they have, he has an NFL arm, but there's so much that goes into the quarterback position that determines, you know, who is the most prolific guys, because you don't even know if, if Sikowski is going to be Chris in the starter here at Rutgers, but a guy like Raquan O'Neal, you know, I think his time as a starter is inevitable. Uh, it's just really a matter of when he is able to step in. He has all the, the, the talent that is there, um, t- you know, to be an all big 10 offensive tackle and to be an NFL draft pick.
0: Right. When you look at Zatowski, you just say, man, if this kid puts it together and he lines up and does what people think he can do. I mean, th- the sky is the limit for him. Last time I thought this way about somebody was uh, probably a few years back and, That gentleman ended up transferring out of Rutgers, Tom Savage, and doing quite well now in the NFL. But uh, Savage had those skills that Satowski has. He just looks great in shorts and a T-shirt. And the big hope is that it'll transfer over to the next level. If you're betting money on it, Bobby, you think he'll do it? (laughs)
1: <laughs> one thing I've learned is to never bet that far in advance. Um, you know, I I, I like Arden and I hope he does great. And, and he has the ability to do it uh, or he has the physical abilities to do it. But like I said, with quarterback, there's so many different things to come into play. And that's one It's it's really a great unknown. You know, a kid like Jalen Chapman could come in and start, you know, for multiple years. He's he's a winner. He's proven he's he's done it on the field, whereas Sikowski hasn't. But, you know, everybody looks at Sikowski and says he has the big arm. He has the size, but there's something to be said for a kid who's won as many games and thrown for as many yards and and really been in the fray and and come out victorious. I mean, there, there's something to to be said about the on-field performance as opposed to somebody who just wows you at camps.
0: I could see you being a Chapman fan, and that you were a huge Devin Fuller fan back when he was in high school. <laughs> and for that same reason, Devin didn't quite fit the mold of a college quarterback, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. Yet. When Devin played, he just made one play after another and basically willed his team to victory. Yeah, and, and you know, I was I was a big Devin Fuller guy we, from the
1: first time we saw him at a, at a Rutgers camp. Um, but I, I think if he would have went to Rutgers, he would have wound up playing quarterback and things could have been different. But, um, you know, he, he wound up in the NFL. And, and you know, sometimes I, I think at the quarterback position, you have to have those intangibles. You have to have the smarts. You have to have the leadership. You have to have the heart. Um you know, these are things that are tough to measure at a combine.
0: Well, Sean, when this was a a down year for New Jersey recruiting for Rutgers, I mean, they got, I think, one guy in the top 15. I know that New Jersey didn't have as many top-tier recruits as they've had in some of the past years. But of the guys who Rutgers got, who do you see as the one with the most upside potential?
2: For the New Jersey guys, um, I mean – Art is definitely the the one that stands out. I mean, I, I remember seeing Art uh, about four years ago at the uh, Air Sports Group seven on seven, and they had them separated with younger and older guys and. You know, I wasn't really paying too much attention to the, the younger guys. So, like, I see this this tall, six four, blonde kid, and I said, who, "Who is this kid?" Yeah, he's the backup quarterback at Old Bridge. He's he's phenomenal. What's his name? And I, I was there with uh, our one of our national guys, former Scarlet guy, Mark P, who was an Old Bridge guy. You know, so he he was excited to see a, a, a Old Bridge guy and you know, kind of pump him up. But he, you know, he he progressed from there. He like like Bobby mentioned, he has all the tools. He throws a, a beautiful ball. I, I always just talk about. Uh, you know, it's it's big for me for quarterbacks to be able to see them just control the ball and, and put them put the ball where it's supposed to go. And, and, and when Art's on, he can do that. Um, and you mentioned Tom Savage; it's it's a it's a really good comparison in that. You know, both had similar similar physical characteristics, but then they both played in option offenses uh, within their high school as well. You know, Art obviously made the transfer to to IMG, had some ups and downs there, but I'm I'm sure that helps him get ready for the college level in terms of the experience and and that college level training that he gets to IMG. Uh, And we'll see it when it carries over uh, when he gets to Rutgers. And I do like Davon Robinson quite a bit as well. He's he's great after the catch. He's you know very athletic. Whether it's you know wide receiver or tight end, he could be a impact guy on offense in some aspect
0: well i'll throw this question out to either one of you who wants to pick it up uh who's still out there i know Rutgers will still have some spots left there's a couple of guys who are not signing tomorrow so perhaps they'll st- stick with Rutgers. perhaps they'll move on so there'll still be more news to be had over the next few months is there anyone that you're looking at that maybe Rutgers will pick up late
1: you know, I think uh, it's it's going to take on a really different trajectory through the month of um, January. You're going to see some targets emerge. The defensive line, I think, you're going to see some late targets emerge. That's a position to really watch because uh, recruiting has really been suffering um, at the at you know on the, at the defensive tackle spot. So I think you're going to see some new names pop up that really haven't been there before, and you're going to see those last minute visits. If you remember last year, there were so many defensive ends going to visit, not going to visit, coming to visit. But I, I think you're going to see a lot of new names emerge over the next month. Sean, what about you?
2: Uh, I would agree with Bobby. Uh, defensive line seems to be the the priority at this point. It seems like everything else in this class is tidied up uh, except for defensive line. Obviously, um, Richie just broke the news early on the board that uh, recent commitment came Mimes from uh, Lawn Branch is now uh, – Leading towards not signing uh, Over the, the new signing period and, and waiting to take Official visits to Pitt and Boston College were Just offered uh, earlier today So, you know There's a chance now That was one guy That thought they had In the fold That look around So recent offers up Casey Rogers Is an interesting guy He's a prep guy From Connecticut He played his, his High school ball In New York He was a lacrosse kid Committed to Syracuse He thought he was A football guy So he did a prep year He camped at Ohio State And Alabama He took official visits To both of those schools already But they have not offered as of yet, uh, workers has issued an offer, and Rodgers is willing to wait those two schools out. But if they don't offer, workers could be in a good position to bring him in. And another guy that uh, Richie broke on the board as a, a secret visitor a couple of weeks ago, um, Jamie, uh, uh, Cromna, um, I do not know if I'm saying his name correctly. I'm sorry. From, um, HC Flowers and PG County in Maryland. He's, uh, committed to Old Dominion as he decommitted to Old Dominion. Uh, he's a defensive end that Rutgers offered in the summer. They had a lot of other guys on the board at that time. So, you know, they kind of cooled on him, but they had him in for a visit. He's a guy that is strongly considering Rutgers. And if I think they push for him, they might be able to get him. Um, if not in this early signing period, then possibly in February.
0: Well, that's it, gentlemen. I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about after we find out who signs tomorrow, who doesn't sign tomorrow, and as Rutgers starts to you know, change their strategy as they head towards the second signing day. So I want to thank you guys for both joining. And of course, I want to thank everyone for listening and being part of what we're doing at scarletnation.com. We really appreciate you being part of the site and communicating with us on the message boards and on Social Sphere and Twitter and Facebook. And until the next time, folks, Thanks for listening to Scarlet Nation Podcast.